Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Ishbel Holmes and you're listening to the Wheel Suckers podcast. <laughs> The Wheel Suckers podcast is forged in the studios of Wardour in phantasmical Fitzrovia, London. Wardour Studios love recording podcasts. We do a podcast. Why don't you stop talking about it and start doing it? We're sponsored by Katusha Sports, premium cycle wear for pro racers and everyday riders. They support pro race team Katusha Alpeson, including rider Alex Dowsett, so you know their gear has been tested by the best. Go to katusha-sports.com now. Today, we are talking to Ishbel Holmes about cycling the world, rescuing animals by bike, and why she can't go back to Iran. I'm Alex. I'm your captain. Don't forget the captain. <laughs> I am the captain. And I look after social media, marketing, and events at Look Mom No Hands, a cycle cafe bar workshop on 49 Old Street, London. We serve coffee, bikes, beer, food, and I'm joined by my stoker. Jenny's in the rear. Uh, not pedaling. I'm the director of the London Bike Kitchen. We are a do-it-together bike workshop in Hackney. And we teach people how to fix their own bikes through classes, drop-in sessions, and our women and gender variant wag nights. We have a special guest. <laughs> Woohoo! Hi, guest. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> we are joined by Ishbel Holmes. Uh, it's a funny story that Lee Craigie, who is a downhill mountain Found, bike founder of the adventure syndicate founder of the adventure syndicate she sent us an email saying you're in the uk and we were not allowed to let you leave until we'd spoken to you yeah <laughs> which is pretty fun so here we are yep yep we Fair made play. it happen thank you lee <laughs> thanks lee so you're in the uk doing a tour yeah, I'm book back. Um, yeah, my book's just been published so I'm back and tomorrow night's my First event of my UK wide speaking tour, which I am cycling the whole lot of it with my dog Maria, who Yay. I rescued when I was cycling across Brazil last year. Amazing! Yeah, I, I wish I thought the dog would be here. Maria <laughs> into the studio. <laughs> Are we allowed dogs in the studio? I would have allowed it. Yeah. Uh, okay, next time then. Next yeah. Time. Yeah. So, what's your book about? Well, and also, you've been cycling around the world. Yeah, I've been um, cycling around the world since 2014, but it's not like what you hear a lot of, like actually cycling around the world because I do it with no maps. So like I'm kind of like a squiggly line kind of around the world. And I've been doing that since 2014. In that time, I've only cycled 16 countries, which is um, 
you know, a lot of people can cycle the world in two years. So I'm one of the slowest cyclists out there. Bit lazy on a bike, to be honest with you. Um, stop for lots of coffee stops and way too many beer stops. And really, that's why it's taking me so long. But I'm enjoying every second of it. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Sounds like my kind of tour. Oh, it's amazing. I, your dog. Yeah, yeah, I'm always filled with horror. When I, I, I used to be a, a velodrome sprinter. And when I transferred over to the round the world cycling, I used to get invited for all these long distance hard and grueling races because like obviously of my racing pedigree and I was just filled with horror because I was like there's not going to be much beer time in that is there? I'm not doing it I'm not doing it you've gone to the dark side I'm loving I'm loving the dark side I don't want goals I don't want times nice. so like yeah it. so your origin story I saw so you went from commuting to road racing, to velodrome sprinting, to then exploring the world. Kind of how did that happen? Yeah, like life is random, obviously. (laughs) So I was, I've always had bicycles in my life. I don't have a driving license because commuting by bicycle is just normal for me. Um, If I had an appointment like 40 miles away, I would just cycle there and then like be like raging if I've not received the email to tell me it's cancelled and turned around (laughs) and cycled back the 40 miles. I remember when um, I was velodrome sprinting on the Chris Hoy velodrome, I'd been talent spotted and I was on the Glasgow Life Squad and I was late one day and the head coach was saying, scowling like, okay, get up and do a warm up. And I was like, no, I don't need to do a warm up, I'm fine. Ishbel, get up and do a warm up. And I was like, I don't need a warm-up. I've just cycled from Falkirk. Like, it was like 40 miles away. And he said, what? And it turned out nobody knew because it was just normal. I was cycling 40 miles to my training session, doing three hours of velodrome sprinting, four hours, and then cycling back at the end of the session. And when they found out, they were like, no, 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 okay, you need to stop that. You need to stop that. (laughs) You're cycling too much. Yeah, I was cycling too much. And then, like, I started cycling when I was actually, um, I was on the back of a bike when I was still in nappies before I could cycle. And that's because, right, so random, I was born in Manchester. Obviously, I've got a Scottish accent. So I've spent like pretty much my whole life in Scotland. But also, I've got an Iranian father, so I also have an Iranian passport. And when I was still inside my mother's womb, the Iranian revolution took place in Iran. And when I was born, the new regime declared that all Iranians around the world should return back to their home country. And to encourage that, they stopped all money leaving Iran to support Iranians around the world. So my father was a student in Manchester and his wealthy family used to send over money each month to pay for his studies and to support his new family, young family. And that stopped. And overnight, my family were propelled into extreme poverty and the bicycle became a tool. So I was born into that. And my dad used to sit me on the back of his bicycle in a seat when I was in my nappies <laughs> and he used to cycle across Manchester to buy a 20 kilogram sack of potatoes that were a few pennies cheaper and he used to put that on the back of the bicycle behind me and cycle all the way back over. So that was my introduction to life. So it's no wonder I don't have a driving license. 
And then, like, I got my first big girl's bike when I was seven years old. And I used to ride it as fast as what I could. I mean, I hated cycling. I wasn't into cycling at all, but I really wanted a horse. And, like, this was the closest experience I was going to get. So I was galloping my horse in my imagination and it had a name and I had to go really fast to make it believable that it was a horse. So that's why I, th- I started cycling really fast was because I wanted my bike to be a horse. And then the bicycle just was always a tool. And I broke up with a boyfriend and I was in Australia for a while and I broke up with a boyfriend because he wanted kids and a family. Lovely, lovely guy, but I wasn't ready to settle down. And um, instead of getting a new haircut, I took off with my bicycle and toured France and Spain and, and Portugal. But I was too scared of wild camping and actually cut it short. Came back to Scotland and joined a local bike club. Pretty soon, people were coming up to me, you need to race, you need to race. And I was like, don't be so bloody ridiculous. <laughs> and they kept on to me. And the captain of a women's team came out to my, because my, my, I didn't know I was cycling with some of the fastest men in, in, in the country at that time. I didn't know. Um, and she was like, please come and ride with us in the nationals. We'll get you in. And I'm like... Are you joking? I don't know anything about racing. I'm not interested. I've never even watched the Olympics once. I'm not doing it. And in the end, I just kind of gave in to what everyone else thought was a great idea. And I was racing all around the UK and then they built the Chris Hoy Velodrome. And I went there to test it and talent spotted because I was like faster than everyone else, basically, in this tester session. And the coach said to me, you know, you know, who are you? We've been waiting for someone like you. I was like, yeah, I'm road racing just now. And he says, immediately, do you want to be a velodrome sprinter? And to be honest with you, I didn't really know what that was because, like, (laughs) obviously I hadn't watched the Olympics. Like, I know it. I I just fell into road racing. I didn't actually have an interest in that whole thing. I just asked the question. Does that mean I don't have to race up any hills anymore? He said, yes, Ishbel, you don't have to race up any hills. And that was it. From that day forth, <laughs> <Bellagium> Sprinter. <laughs> and um, I was actually training for the Commonwealth Games. Like, and I'm 37 now, so this is like just before I was turning 30. I was late getting into it. Um, and I was training to put a qualification time in for the Commonwealth Games because I was one of the fastest in Scotland. And I was knocked down off my bike, which put me back a bit. But then I ended up racing for the Iranian national um, women's team because I've got an Iranian passport because my father is from Iran. And then when I got there, like I was like, OK, I don't actually like this world I'm in. I just kind of fell into it. International top level sport is not really my thing. And I thought, right, Ishbel, if you're going to walk away from this, because I was just riding my bike full time. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> but I just didn't think that was good enough for me. Yeah, so I began cycling the world basically overnight from training for 500 metres to cycling the world on a fully loaded carbon bicycle. And that was a shock to the system because I used to, you know, impress my mates, my carbon bicycles. I'd be lifting it up and down with my pinky (laughs) as you do to impress your mates. And then I went on to this thing, which like was so heavy. You couldn't even lift, you couldn't lift it at all. So that is the history of Ishbel Holmes and the bicycle. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. That's crazy. What what made you want to cycle around the world though? What did you just leave Iran? Yeah. Yeah, so we were, I was on a flight back. The team was coming back from Kazakhstan and I knew on that flight back, I was like, I just really don't, this is not suited to me. I'm more of a hippie 
like I love freedom and everything then in my life was told was dictated to me I couldn't even go out for a, a bike ride on my own if I had wanted to go out on a bike ride um, when I was in Tehran I had a support vehicle which was a sort of van with a siren on it and I was mortified because obviously I've spent my life on bikes I know how to be safe on a road but every time there was a car coming down a slipway or anything, I would hear the siren going off and it would, oh, it was just, uh, it was so embarrassing. Um, so you needed an escort. Yeah, I wasn't in allowed. In order to be, because at this point were women not allowed to ride or? It was just because I was in the care of the Iranian national team and it's different in Iran when it comes to women. So the men would have been okay, but the women would need some sort of protection, obviously. <laughs> but I feel like, like a siren going off while I'm cycling is not going to help. Like I feel like more accidents are going to happen if you'd be like, ah! <laughs> I mean, Every and, time. like, and it's like, what was I supposed to do if I needed? A pee, like seriously, <laughs> like, was this siren going to go up? <laughs> that wow. was my biggest fear. So yeah. I just like, oh, I'll just not drink water in this forty oh, degrees no. heat. <laughs> wow. Yeah, a different God. world. Like, there's so much to talk about Iran. But going mm. back to your question, there we can go back to that. Like, how I actually decided to cycle the world. So I knew I wanted to leave sport because obviously I made a mistake listening to everybody thinking it was a good idea <laughs> so came back from Kazakhstan I just dropped all my stuff off at the velodrome I got my old training bike and a backpack and I just went to the airport and I saw that the flight there was a flight to Istanbul and it was the cheapest flight and it was the quickest flight from Tehran and I didn't need a visa because I had an Iranian passport so I just went there and then I caught another flight down the south of Turkey because I realised, okay, you've not packed a jacket or a tent or anything. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I just knew I needed time out. I just needed time out to make one of the biggest decisions in my life because I knew I was walking away from sport. But there was no way I was going back to work in an office because it just did not suit my personality at all. But I didn't know what I was going to do. So I went there just to cycle time out. About two weeks into the trip, I was locking my bike up at this lamppost and the most ridiculous sight I've ever seen came walking towards me. Now, I was red, okay, because in Iran, when I was at the training camp, I had to wear hijab, I was totally covered. So the only sunlight that hit my skin was on my face. And that meant when I went to Turkey, I was just blistering because it didn't matter how much sun cream I put on. My skin, my skin hadn't had any sunlight on it. But this man who was walking towards me, bright blonde hair, his face was even redder than mine's. And I was like, oh my God, where's my sunglasses to look at this face? It's so bright red. And he was, he had this bicycle. He was pushing it towards me and it was fully loaded with all these bags. And he said, oh, hello. I didn't know there was another one. <laughs> and I'm looking at him and before I even responded this woman with blonde hair came cycling down she looked really cross she's looking at the both of us she gets off her bike and she says to him you didn't tell me in warm showers there was two of you so I'm like warm showers what like it sounded really seedy and I'd never heard of warm showers and I was like oh my god alarm bells in my head but I couldn't process what was going on he said no no she's not with me and the both of them turned to me and they're like who are you and I'm like, I'm just like, I'm just tying my bike. I'm just walking my bike to this lamppost. I don't know who you are. 
And they said, are you not warm showers? And I started to freak out. I'm like, I don't know what warm showers is. I want nothing to do with it. And it turns out warm showers. Have you guys heard of warm showers? Yeah. I've used it. Amazing, right? So basically warm showers around the world is like all the cyclists around the world open up their homes. So as anyone that's doing long distance bicycle touring or is passing through their town on a bike can actually go in and have somewhere to stay for the night and a warm warm shower <laughs> for free and it's great it's really great um, and it turns out she was the host and he was the guest so they said to me where are you staying tonight anyway and I was like oh I don't know I've not even sorted that out yet as as normal with me and um, they said why don't you come and stay as well so I went to stay with them and that night I was listening to their stories he was bicycle touring long distance. She was about to bicycle tour back to the UK with our daughter, our 18-year-old daughter. And I just knew, I was like, that is what I'm going to do. And then the next day, I abandoned everything, all my trip, and I just cycled to the nearest airport, got a flight back to Scotland, sold all my stuff at car boot sales, and probably the only time in the whole world, GHD straighteners are sold for a pound at a car boot no! sale. I did, just to get rid no! of everything. Right? Oh, mine I just died and I'm like, I'm having a tough time. Oh dear, that is the oh. worst story to tell you right I now. Know, I could have bought them from you. Oh my God, this was years Take ago if back. it makes you feel Take better. Time machine. Doctor Who, we need Doctor Who here yeah. right now. <laughs> Let me have cheap GHDs. If anybody's selling their GHDs and they're listening, I need some. <laughs> <laughs> please share this podcast so it goes yeah. viral so she gets her GHD straighteners please emergency GHD could be our sponsor <laughs> that's such an amazing yeah. idea uh, do you know something I've just quickly I've not finished that story right but <laughs> yes. see because I'm actually cycling a speaking tour a whole UK wide speaking tour I actually have in my panniers a pair of GHD straighteners and a hairdryer and a makeup bag. Oh my goodness. <laughs> anyway, Priorities. so I got rid of yeah. everything. I bought a £300 city bike. It was the cheapest I could get that had the pannier rack holes and I set off to cycle the world. And I didn't even know because I tried bicycle touring before when I split up with the boyfriend instead of a haircut and I couldn't do it long term because I was too scared when I was wild camping. I didn't know if... I would actually be able to do it because of my fear. I genuinely didn't. But in my heart, that's what I wanted to do. And I went out, gave up everything. People thought I was nuts because I was getting to ride my bike anyway every day, you know? (laughs) And they thought I was nuts. And I just ignored everyone, followed my heart, went out, not knowing if I would be back within the month. And you know what? Turned out to be the greatest thing I've ever done. Honestly, just say to everyone, follow your heart because it'll keep you right. And even if you get to a place where you've followed your heart and it's not the right place for you and it's not the right destination, it's still going to take you on to the right place where you need to be, your path. Lovely. Yeah. I want to applause. Oh my God. But we still oh, want amazing. GHD to sponsor. That's because she still really needs GHD. GHD. Do you not have like travel ones that they just like normal? Say. Not normal. Yeah, but that'll cost money, you know, Domestic. like... Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I live basically, so I don't have to work. Minimal, like, effort. <laughs> yeah, I'm packing GHD straighteners in my pannier bags. <laughs> you could probably Light do some damage, especially packing. if you turn them on. You could really do Does some Does that tie damage. into... Definitely. Um, you list the equipment you use online. What are five pieces of kit that you can't live without? 
Right, okay, well, obviously the bicycle's one, right? No, the bike doesn't, <laughs> doesn't count. count. Right, yeah. okay, so the bike doesn't ca- yeah. count, but five. And like, and like repair stuff doesn't count. Right, okay, like, well. that's essential. That's like, really. duh. I'm never like, going to say that because I don't even know how to fix a puncture. Oh, like, come to the bike kitchen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely need to get in one of your classes yeah, and yeah. I'm going to do it because I do get a lot of stick for that in the online community, cycling community, that I, I don't, I've set out to cycle the world and I, and I, don't know how to fix a puncher, but at the end of the day, I'm doing it. I've cycled 16 countries. Have there you? you okay, leave me alone. I'm doing it my way. Thank you very much. Don't worry. Those, yeah, those internet trolls, I know they're listening. Oh they hate everything. Don't worry, I've learned that one now. You will never make them happy. No. So, yeah, the top. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. thing I would say that I couldn't live without that would be a sort of an item that you wouldn't need to take with you be my ex-ped pillow. And I'm not sponsored by any of these guys by this is genuine. This is genuine, right? My ex-ped pillow. Now, ex-ped pillows cost about 23 quid to £30, right? Now, for me, I was never going to pay that on a pillow. So I was using jumpers. I stuffed things and jumpers and stuff in my sleeping bag cover. I bought a, a cheap pillow that was £11 and nothing, I've, nothing works but... Eventually, before I went to South America, I treated myself to the ex-ped pillow. Amazing! Is it like a foam one? Or? Is it the one you blow up? Yeah, it's like, no, it's like not foam. It's, it's like, so it's just like a little bit of material. That's all it is. Like, it's so tiny. 
and you just blow up three, for me anyway, three puffs. And it's blown <laughs> up, right? Totally. Three puffs. I have to say, nice. I have an Exit mattress and I fucking love it. I've got the X. Oh my yeah. God, can Which we swear? Which one do you have? Can yeah, we you can swear. swear. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Coolest podcast ever. Uh, I'll just keep that in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. The XPED. XPED is a UL brand, 7. right? The, I've got the. What one have you got? I've got the UL7. I've got that one. Oh, We've got so the same good. one. It's, isn't it like a dream? Right. I might honestly, as well be at home. You pump it up with your hands, right? And it's I've like got... an air mattress in your tent. You've got I've the got bag. I've got the little bag with I... the willy. <laughs> Oh my god! The, you have an inflatable it's willy. A, it's an inflatable like dry bag. It's I a don't. Huge dry can bag. I just say I don't carry the inflatable willy with no, me? Okay. <laughs> she maybe does, Jenny. but I don't. Uh, it's a travelling essential. <laughs> do you, do you enjoy it? Yeah, because yeah, it takes two or three bagfuls. Yeah, yeah. The willy connects to the the mattress. Yeah. Oh, and then the, you okay. push the air inside wow. and it's amazing. Or it's like those refueling things with the aircrafts and the thing sticks in between. Yeah. Two. Like a little umbilical cord. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did actually get one of those. And this is a sign or this isn't a sign of exped. This is a sign of how thick I am and if I can do this, anyone in the whole entire planet can because I really am thick. And I took it with me and I, I never worked out how to use it. I never successfully worked out how to use that. So I just pump it up with my hands. That's what I do. Yeah, Exped is a brand. Like, I'm not into the whole marketing overpriced branding that is in the cycling world. Especially, I mean, I was on a bike that, I mean, the wheels, the wheels I was on was £5,000 for like just two wheels, you know, and I just didn't feel right. So, but it, over the years that I've been doing what I've been doing, Exped is a brand that like even their um, their waterproof bags and stuff if I can if I'm in a position because obviously they are more expensive than the cheaper things in the market then I will go for them the Exped mattress would be another one because I'm 37 now and I have noticed a difference in my body now to when I was younger I have so like I used to be able to do whatever I wanted all day every day and at night I was in there Doing my, like, writing, um, doing photography, I'm reading a book, you know, then it's lights out. Now when I finish my day, I'm buggered. I am in there like a zombie. I can't even read or anything. And I noticed that my body is not recovering as well as it was. I mean, still, obviously I'm fit, you know, but um, I was getting sore joints and stuff. So that's why I first started looking at different mat options and it was other people that were cycling the world kept saying this mat, the exped one. So um, I got it and I actually crossed the Andes. I had problems because my sleeping bag had been donated because I set out to cycle the world with a £10 sleeping bag. (laughs) (laughs) And there was like, obviously there was clear, there was question marks over my ability to survive a winter. And I got donated a sleeping bag that was like from someone. I was about eight years old though and by the time I had was crossing the Andes it all had holes and all the feathers were all out of it so I didn't really have a sleeping bag my tent didn't close and I was up 5,000 meters and it was the exped mattress by the way that really really got me through that wow so what else is there <laughs> other things that like so two right yeah. equipment as well good mattress good pillow good mattress and good pillow right honestly this as well and I can't remember the name of it and I'm so sorry but just 
We'll Google, Google it. Google it or there's Gill Side Cycles, right? Gill Side, do you know them? Yeah, right, yeah, okay, yeah. so Gill Side Cycles is who I use for everything and this is why I don't know anything because I just email them to say, I need this or I need that and they just like say, right, this is what you need. They send me it, I pay them, right? But I don't actually research anything anymore. I just say to them because I've done all the bicycle touring and I made so many wrong choices and I listened as well to people who were really in the, the know about the road and the track cycling and I made a lot of fail choices with my equipment so now I just go to them but there's I think as well getting a proper stand for your bicycle a kickstand um, because I've smashed like I've tried the cheaper ones and I've smashed laptops and because my bike keeps falling over and um, so having a proper stand is really really important but obviously yeah. I can't remember the, I can't remember like one the of the little double ones yeah, you like but you get the ones that really take the weight, the heavy mm-hmm. weight. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I wish I remembered. You need well, that. I've been thinking of getting a stand for my bike because you just think, oh, it's so easy. It up all the time is so annoying. Yeah. It's so and easy. And if you're knackered, if you've been cycling for ages, that's the last thing you want to do is like do the little weird dance that you do when you're trying to get it to balance and it just doesn't want to yeah. do it. You know? And as well, there's loads of places. Like I cycle really remote places. There's no walls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's just, yeah, what like, do you do? There's no walls. <laughs> And then, like, you it's put your bike post, down. Yeah. You're laying your bike down, like, and you're so tired, and then you've got to pick it. No, just get a stand that yeah. works for that weight. That's a good one. Let's talk about Bolivia, because you were cycling the Andes. In Bolivia? Well, I don't know. This... Uh, your protest in Bolivia. Ah. Oh, that went viral. There was a... Yeah. And now you're was a Was this something about woman. your sleeping bag? So what happened was it was my own fault about my tent. I have got, like, the best tent in the world for one person tent it's the best and I would never change it what is it? it's the Hilberg Acto amazing the best bomb proof okay and but what happened was I was I got stuck in a snowstorm it was a freak snowstorm of Glacier Grey down in Patagonia and um, I ended up that was my only time really well my, two, my second time I was in hospital and I to recover I was in a campsite for two months but it was in an area where there wasn't any ozone layer and I was there for two months. And my tent was up the whole time in the strong sunlight. Oh, no. And it meant the zips, like it wouldn't close anymore. The zip, like the material had weakened so much. So my tent was back and it was getting repaired at Hilberg in the USA. And so I didn't have a tent. I didn't have a tent for crossing Bolivia. I was just sleeping on benches. And actually you couldn't take money out with MasterCard, which is all I had. So I had no money and I had no tent. Uh, that's when I started making these little bracelets and at first I was selling them for money and then I was like you're an idiot I was just swapping them straight for food and that's how I got across Bolivia so I was getting my tent back I didn't have any money obviously and they when I went to they wouldn't deliver it to me the address that I was at I had to like get on a bus for hours and when I got there they wanted me to they wanted me to pay 50 US dollars which is really great if you've got 50 US dollars and I really needed this tent and after like I was there for three days trying to get my tent and I couldn't get it out of this FedEx office (laughs) (laughs) and um, so I just I had to do what I had to do to get my tent back and the only option I had was to sit down on the floor of the office and have a one-woman protest. I took a selfie, posted it online to say, guys, I'm having a one-woman protest because I need my tent back. 
all the postage and everything's been paid, but they, they're not giving me it unless I pay 50 US dollars. So I'm having, I'm not getting up from this floor until I get my tent back. So I sat there and um, yeah, it went viral and it was the hashtag release the tent. And <laughs> FedEx were receiving phone calls from all over the world, right? Because what I'd done was I put the tracking number <laughs> online. <laughs> so they were receiving phone calls from all over the world. Like even people, like some of my followers who worked in big companies, that used the distributors, they went and got a pass from their bosses. Look, we're going to go on phone and say if they don't, if she doesn't get her tent back in Bolivia, we are stopping our contract with you. We're going to use another courier. And even in Canada, for example, Australia, they were saying FedEx offices were like, "This is nothing to do with us. This is Bolivia." And the people were like, "Because we're high up in the company, we don't care. You better sort this and give the lassie her tent well." Give the woman our tent because it's been a Scottish. Push on the phone, like, give Alice in the tent. <laughs> um, and even like the right Sean that was tweeting about it. And um, wow. I, so I got the tent back, obviously, because they, they came, the head person came and was like, just sit in the seat, just sit on the seat. And I was like, I can't, you don't understand, I'm on a one woman protest. And he was like, yeah, but just do it from the seat. I was like, it's not the same. And he was like, what do you mean a one-woman protest? And I turned the phone round and, and you could see it was going, like, getting shared, like, by hundreds and hundreds of people. And he just looked at it and his eyes widened and I had my tent within five minutes. Wow. But at the oh. same time of that, I'll be quick because I know we're thinking for time. At the same time as all that was going on, the Supreme Leader of Iran issued a fatwa against women riding their bikes in public, right? So a fatwa is like a religious ban, but I'd always kept quiet about stuff in Iran because if you freedom of speech doesn't exist there but then it doesn't exist in China and things like that neither so um lots of countries are like that and if I spoke out then even on social media then I wouldn't be able to go I could go back into the country but I would face prison and I basically spat the dummy big time because the bicycle for me has been some of my most amazing moments in in my life and I just thought to tell a woman you can't ride a bike because she's a woman like that is ridiculous and I am going to speak out and I was already involved in some women rights stuff in Bolivia so I had a lot of contacts and I held a press conference and all the networks were there and yeah so I spoke out and that was shown everywhere and then yeah since then I mean I, I definitely cannot go into Iran because I would go to prison for many many years <laughs> it's just shocking <laughs> Everybody should be able to ride a bike. It's just kind of crazy. Like people don't realise here as well. Like there are women, there are other countries where it's so frowned upon for women to ride their bicycles and they're fighting for the right to, to ride their bicycles. And that's why supporting hashtag campaigns are so, so important. It only takes a second to share or to hashtag something. Um, but it gives the women in these countries some protection because a country is going to be more careful in their treatment of these women if there's international people watching it's so so important but remember as well it's important not to judge badly of these countries because in Britain for example we were the same like what over a hundred years ago we were the same it was frowned upon for women to ride their bicycles so we're all I've found cycling the world I learned that like I don't judge because we're all at different rates of development countries so if you're going to judge then you have to say right there's a rule then that we all have to develop it the same way because everything that's happening abroad has happened in this country but in the centuries before so it's just about supporting and developing and moving on really as best you can Agreed. too good yeah. yeah I'm just like whoa we've got so many right. adventures we haven't talked about animals yeah can we talk about animals oh my god I, yeah. to know. I need to know 
A, I'm going to rescue this dog. And then B, having a rescue dog with you on the bike. It's amazing. How, how did it materialise? Yeah. Like, when did it start? Because, yeah, I left to cycle the world and I had no interest in dogs. So <laughs> if you were walking your dog, I'd say hi to you. I wouldn't even acknowledge the dog. It's just the way I was. Um, it's not that I didn't like them. I just, they weren't in my world at all. And I was cycling Turkey. And it was a, a dog that was basically insisting that I rescue her. And I was having none of it and trying to cycle away as fast as what I could. And I was like, street dogs are not my problem. Like, I am cycling the world. I'm not getting involved in this carry on. And then she was attacked by four dogs at the same time. And actually, um, it was a life changing moment because I came, I'd ran away from foster care and actually I was homeless and still trying to go to school. Didn't make the decision. It was when I was 21. I, I made the decision that, um, you know, what's the point in living life when you just want to die every day? And I made the decision there and then. You either got to end it now or you've got, you've got to start living life and really make it worth living. Like, um, And that's what I've done since then. But because of my background, I've suffered like a lot of traumas in that time. So this moment when I saw the four dogs attacking this, this dog um, just propelled me back with flashbacks to things that had happened and I just threw the bike down and ran, charged and like saved her. <laughs> and um, then we, the, the journey obviously progressed from there and it was like, it was a journey of healing for me, but through a street dog, it was really, really weird, but um, definitely changed my life, that experience. And I was so moved by what I was seeing with the, the dogs because um, like my story went really huge in Turkey and like everywhere I went, people would recognise me and I was on television and um, everywhere with this dog. So I was propelled into the world of animal rescue and I had like full access and I was really moved by it. And I decided that that was something that I would allocate some of my life to helping. Like I always allocate hours each week to different causes. It's not going to take over my life. You know, I'm not one of those people, but like, and that was one of the things. So I went on as I was cycling the world. I was volunteering at rescue centres, adoption centres. I have a dog trailer on the back of my bike now. <laughs> and uh, I rescue injured animals as well when I'm cycling. So I don't look for them because like I'm enjoying myself, but I can't, I can't ride past an, an animal that's sort of dying or in pain. So, wow. You say dog trailer. Is it just, how is it a dog trailer? Is it a trailer on the back? Is it like one of those like ones you can put kids in? Yeah, yeah, it's similar to that, but it's for dogs and it's incredible. So I've, I've actually got a dog now. I adopted a dog. One of the dogs I rescued in Brazil. Her name's Maria and she gave me ringworm the first day I met her on my arm. <laughs> but I fell in love with her. <laughs> so like she only had a couple of weeks to live. She had advanced tick disease. So anyway, got, she came over to Scotland at the end of February and we walked the West Highland Way, uh, which was incredible because we had sunshine, which is incredible in Scotland. And then I took her in the trailer and bicycle toured a lot of the N500 route, which on a sunny day is some of the best scenery you're going to see in the world. She sits in the dog trailer and I just, when I'm going up the hills, because like I hate hills anyway, <laughs> I think I've mentioned that. Now I've got a dog, I'm pulling a dog and I just like, sometimes I'm thinking, oh my God, you're totally owned by your dog. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm actually like, I'm her bitch basically because I'm cycling around. <laughs> I can't imagine, is it hard work having a dog and cycling? Yeah, well, it's hard work as in you just can't be in a hurry anytime. 
if you're even going over a speed bump <laughs> or like any sort of incline whatsoever or the tiniest little headwind, it just makes it, you feel it in your, your legs more than if you do, you're not pulling that weight. But the joys of traveling with your, your pet is so incredible. Like now, so I'm wild camping at night in these most amazing, spectacular places. But now I've got my dog next to me and it's just, it's an amazing experience traveling with your dog. Obviously, there's because I was going to go and cycle Africa, but I'm not going to do that with my dog. Not all of it. So you have to sort of like one on the way. (laughs) Get another one. God knows what I would end up on that trail. (laughs) (laughs) If I could fit it in and it was injured, I'd get it. Well, they're going to make a film about you, which I was like, what? That was Frank Gilhooley, the Scottish actor. He contacted me and we met up for lunch and he asked to write the film script about my life. And I was like, well, that's a great idea, but there's this dog. (laughs) It would be amazing for you to write the story about the dog because of the parallels to my earlier life. Because there's not many people that got out of the life that I was in. There's not many of us that have made it out. And he agreed. So actually, we were working on the film script for quite a few months before I decided to write the book. So that's almost complete just now. But that's all too much for me. Like, I'm still struggling to believe I've got a book out. Like me, a book. It's just ridiculous. I mean, I started the blog because my English was so bad. (laughs) Now I've got a book published. So what's your book called? It's called Me, My Bike and a Street Dog Called Lucy. And it's out now, published, written by me. (laughs) You can get it on Amazon, Kindle, Waterstones, the whole lot. It's amazing. Thank you so much, Ishmael. Thank you so much. Yeah, really amazing. If you like what we do, smash that like button. Go on, rate us on iTunes, and don't forget to motherfucking subscribe. If you can't give us your money... Give us your stars. stars. Don't forget to slam that share Share. button and tell all your podcast listening and perhaps also cycling friends about our show. (laughs) We're going to be the Beastie Boys one day. I'm going to be the next Beastie Boys. That was amazing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.